Welcome to VRPC, folks, and this week with your host, the Sharpie, and, and the captain in the corner again, we are going to be continuing our theme of ex discussing and exploring our um, favourite band members and their positions, and this week it's going to be Rhythm as a Dancer, Rhythm Guitarists. Absolutely. Turn that shit up. It's VRPC. So, Captain, how have you been? Sharpie, I had a great week this week. Um, I'd say last week's episode was great. Really enjoyed talking about him. Um, this week, looking forward to talking about band members. Mm. Looking forward to talking about rhythm guitarists. Uh, but my week has been, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm going to head up north uh, um, tomorrow to visit my parents. Over the wall. <laughs> over the wall. Yeah, over the, over the fjord, which is the <laughs> Firth of Forth. Um, Past them dragons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, as we were saying earlier, it's a nice chance to like drive the car for a couple of hours, which is kind of in that flow state, put some mm -hmm. tunes and just look at the landscape as you drive by. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, you know, um, I was wondering if I should take a detour, but it's like you know, time's always a, a precious commodity, you know, because you've got to get up there, you know, it's a couple of hours' drive, and then, you know. Where are you detouring to? Well, I thought I could maybe like go. Um, uh, I. You know, like when you get to like near Brecon, you can sort of like take a turn off to the left and you sort of go up like. Uh, Fetter Cairn. Fetter Cairn, that's yeah. it, yes, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. And then you end up sort of like. Crathis uh, or something. You well, know? yeah, you can go over the, the tops of the hills over uh, Clackenabin and all that kind of thing. I think, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, you the see, I'm terrible, as you know from this, ep this podcast, I'm terrible with names, but I'm like. I'm, like pinpoint with maps, so I just know where I am graphically, yeah. but like with names, I just can't, um, can't think. So I was thinking about something like that, or of course you could just take the coastal route along like Fife or whatever. That would be a long drive, but yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, hopefully I think we're gonna have a barbecue. So hope looking forward to that. Outstanding. So yeah, I mean barbecues are great because you get to drink beers and eat, eat lots meat. of meat <laughs> while we can still afford it. So yeah, we might right. as well just fucking do it. Um, yeah. Um, so um, for this evening's um, selection of beverages, we've gone a bit Belgique for our beverages. We got a box yeah. of Belgian beers. Belgian beers, yeah, and they're kind of all that sort of crazy strengths though aren't they so we need to be a wee bit canny about what we're doing I guess. have you been to belgium or have you just i seen... have been to belgium yeah. i have been and sat in a lovely um pub bar with a mutual friend of ours in just an atypical mm -hmm. belgian bar what had... time was that then this was a few years about three four years ago it was the middle of summer and honestly it was like something out of a magazine it was yeah. just this beautiful little bar there was very little in it apart from like wooden tables and chairs the bar was a simple wooden bar with a big mirror behind it just like of um uh, uh, uh rows of, of of clean glasses and then they had their their views yeah it was literally like a saloon I had a um sitting area outside there was um a group of of cyclists in the corner um natural and it was just they had a menu of beer about four pages long and I could have stayed there for weeks. Yeah. 
absolute heaven. Really. Yeah, I, I've been to Belgium once. I I, I, I rendezvoused with my mum and dad who were having their. I was in Mechelen. Mechelen. In Mechelen. Right. Okay. The, the yeah. North of Belgium. Yeah. I was. FYI. I was. Uh, I, a, a beautiful medieval yeah. town, by the way. Yeah. They all seem to be. That's the thing. Cause like, but when I went, I went to Bruges, obviously, because everyone's seen that movie. In fact, I watched it last week. Uh, really good. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, my mum and dad, it was their like, uh, wedding anniversary. Without the graphic violence. Without the graphic violence. <laughs> um, but the dark humour. Um, yeah, such, such as family life. Um, but yeah, it was my parents' uh, wedding anniversary. I was living in Frankfurt, Germany at that time, so I took the train. Managed, I remember, like, sleeping in just managing capturing but yeah belgium lovely my wife she's been to a few of the cities in belgium like uh, antwerp and um brussels and another one i've forgotten ghent ghent, ghent yeah. yeah so yeah it's uh looks really really nice i'd say i've only been to bruges beautiful country yeah. ah, yeah. just yeah. that that and holland it's two beautiful countries yeah Thing about Belgium is it's actually got hills. I thought Belgium was flat as well, but it's not. Uh, uh. The, the, no mountains, but it's not. It's not like it's not <laughs> below sea level. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sharpie, um, have you been checking out any new music? You got any sort of gig plans or anything like that? No, do you know we've not had a whole lot of time between recording sessions for the podcast. So um, all my musical time has been taken up with kind of uh, sort of background research and things, yeah. which is. No great hassle because yeah. I've had a ball of a time to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, had a great time with him, mm-hmm. going back into him back catalogue and really enjoying digging them out. And I've had a whale of a time going through rhythm guitarists yeah. mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, uh, before we get into the the nub of today's episode, I was just going to say like um, you were mentioning that Rage Against Machine are really playing. <gasps> Rage Against Machine are playing Edinburgh. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. I am going to be up early for that. I, I actually don't... Please don't it. tell me it's like Ticketmaster. So you'll be sitting like there like waiting for something to oh, happen. Oh, I'm going to have like my iPad, my phone, my wife's iPad. I just on a refresh. Yeah. For, you know, yeah. Just, I can't, I can't not go to this gig. Yeah, yeah. I cannot not go to this gig, you know. Yeah. I, I, I would love to go. I would love to go. I must admit. Uh, just, the problem with like outdoor gigs in Scotland is it's in Scotland and you can just never tell what the weather's going to be like. <sighs> yeah. I've been to... I've been, you know what? I, I, I went to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I've, seen, I've been to two outdoor gigs in Scotland and it was REM and, uh, and a separate gig at Red Hot Chili Peppers. Both were at Murrayfield. No, in fact, tell a lie. I've been to three. I also went to see Beyonce at Hamden. But... Um, uh, you know, you just it doesn't matter if it's August or like July. Nope. You just the weather's in the lap of the gods. You're t- yes, uh, yeah. I, I've never been rained on, but I've never exactly had a kind of like blazing hot day. Yeah, here, you know. The only big outdoor gig I've been to in Scotland was the Rolling Stones and the Bridges of Babylon tour mm. in Murrayfield, mm. and that was a cracker. I was un- unbelievable. Just <laughs> yeah, great time. Absolutely, yeah. like the Rolling Stones live. Of one of just the greatest things on earth. The last time that Rolling Stones played in Edinburgh, I think it must have been like 2019, summer 2019, um, like they were staying at the Balmoral Hotel, which is kind of like. Um, oh, there was fans camped outside. Well, basically, yeah. they came out and started waving, and then basically, there were so many people. It's like it's a bit of a kind of like a, 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 like a key junction in the city, which is almost snarled up with traffic. But, you know, Mick Jagger and. Uh, Ronnie or something. I think it was Ronnie, yeah. Uh, they stood up. 
front on the kind of high steps of the Balmoral and started waving <laughs> and suddenly huge amount of people <laughs> and then of course the whole city because basically once that junction is, is caught the whole city it's stops game over it's yeah, game over the whole yeah. city, you know like if you wanted to invade Edinburgh Mr Putin if you're thinking about it just stop that junction there and you'll cut the whole yeah. city off it's but anyway the so Rolling Stones did it and um, it was yeah it was, it was mad my friend uh, one of my work colleagues he went to the gig and he said it was, it was really really good uh, so yeah, um, yeah. The only thing I was gonna say, like, I've been into listening to a band called Health. They're kind of like an electronic band, and um, uh, they're playing uh, later this year uh, with Perturbator. Perturbator. Oh. And I think that'd be a really good gig, and it yeah. might be the gig that might just get you pushed. Into let's do that. I yeah, let's do that. Let's in for a pen, in for yeah. a pen. I, yeah, Pertubator. I, I saw Perturbator back in I think twenty seventeen or eighteen. Mm-hmm. He's the French guy, and uh, it. Like it's it's electronic music totally, but it's like dark and it's yeah, got like no, kind of this sort of pentagram imagery and it's cool. It'll be a good show. I'm I think sure it'll, it'll be a good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it'll be a good show. I think that's November at St Luke's in Glasgow. But anyway, so today we're going to be talking about um, the uh, say rhythm as an answer. The our favorite rhythm guitarist. Mm. Now this slightly developed a kind of like question: What is rhythm? Yeah, I think particularly with the guitarists. So I went for a purist kind of thing where the guitarists I pick are predominantly known just for playing purely rhythm. Yeah. Now there is guitarists out there, single guitar bands who obviously play, you know, 50, 75 percent rhythm. Mm-hmm. You know, Pete Townsend, Tony Iommi. Um, Art guitarists of that ilk, and you kind of you know they obviously play rhythm. They so all, I know where you stand. Yeah, so I went I went the purest kind of way, and but you can also understand why you you just take in these guitarists yeah. as well. You know, my approach was a little bit different because I was thinking right, okay, like I play guitar, and when I was a teenager, I was like guitar mad, playing mm. like all day every day. So I was thinking, right, okay, basically I have to cram in more or less my favourite guitarist here. And I was kind of like, I kind of looked at it from the perspective of like, okay, sorry. Solo guitarists, which would be presumably the next um, part of this um, series of of podcasts. Right, so who would be my favourite solo guitarists? And then I kind of went, okay, I think it's going to be those three guys, so we'll chop them off. And then that kind of left me with a sort of like four, five, six other guitarists Mm. that I kind of wanted to pack in. And then I was sort of thinking, right, so wait a minute, what is rhythm? And to me, the music that I listen to, which is just slightly different to the music you listen to, is... I think that's an interesting point, and I think that's going to come into this more as we speak about these artists. Because for me, rhythm is is in the riff rather than in the strum, if that makes sense. Whereas, I think... The strum <laughs> and the timing of that strum yep. is everything to the song. Yeah, absolutely everything. And the choices will probably lay that out, particularly in two of them. So, um, yeah. So we might have some interesting um, divergence. Uh, yeah. in our opinions yeah. here. So Sharpie. Um, should we hit open some of these Belgian beers first, or should we just yes. get into it? Or oh no, fact. We, well, we've got this. Um, this. Uh, now I was yeah. gifted a bottle from my dad of this stuff <laughs> called Screwball, and it is a liqueur, 
and it's a whiskey with of a, America from America uh, with a peanut flavour. Mm. Now, that sounds horrendous to describe that, but actually, what you find is the sweetness of it being a liqueur and the peanut. The peanut has a lot of oil in it. In yeah, America. actually, turns it into a caramel flavour. Yeah. And it's, it's got a lovely smell. It's, I mean, it's a lovely smell. It tastes even better. And the one thing it is, is, is moreish. Jesus. Well, I like ice cream. I would think I would pour that all over ice cream. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, and that's the exact kind of, it is a liqueur. Yeah. Like an after dinner liqueur kind yeah. of thing. But it's just a really nice yeah. drink in itself. I think it goes, the guy who made it, um, puts into a lot of cocktails and things. Yeah. I think it's what he designed it for. But, it's got such a pleasant, pleasant flavour, and it's such an unusual flavour as well. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's probably good for a change, actually. Well, let's let's have a try. So, Sharp, you've got your glass there. Your... I do indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a big whiskey tumbler. Charles. Yeah. Very, very sweet. Mm. Dumbuy sweet. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> It like triggers all your pleasure centers. Mm. Peanut butter whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Peanut butter whiskey mentally. <laughs> yes, that is that is that is. A, it's it's got it's it's um you know like how whiskey sometimes has that, that quite a sort of um like a sharp kick. Yeah. Um, it has that, but it has the sweetness as well. Yeah. You know, and it uh, just stops it from being overwhelming, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, God might. The ladies would love that. Yeah, it's, it's a great drink. I think it's a fabulous thing, yeah. honestly. Fabulous thing. Very, very nice. And then we're going to like follow up that with a chaser of like Belgian beers Aye. all at 10%. Wine strength yeah. Belgian yeah. beers. Yeah. Most of them are about 10.5%. So if we make this an hour show, we'll be doing well. <laughs> you might just hear yeah. two thuds as we hit the yeah. floor later yeah. on. If there is any controversial statements in this, um, we didn't mean it. <laughs> no, it wasn't us. Yeah, it wasn't us, yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> right, Sharpie. So Let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I've been quite bad at abusing uh, bassists and drummers. In fact, we've got a police incident report. Ah, it's just like coming away. So let's just lay into the guitarists, right? Here we go. What's the difference between a Fender and a Gretsch? I don't know. The Gretsch burns longer. Sharpie, I'm a guitarist. I might have to walk out of this episode after 15 minutes. Right. <clears throat> What's the range of a Gibson Les Paul? Oh, God. <laughs> Depends on how far you throw it. <laughs> as, the, as the listeners might have guessed, we, we, we tried a comedy podcast, but it didn't get I very know, far. We didn't get very far. Right. Last one, last one. How do you get two guitar players to play in perfect unison? <laughs> I don't know. Shoot one. <laughs> right. So we've, we've finished abusing guitarists. <laughs> um, so I think we had three listeners at the start of this podcast. We've got one left now. So We're doing right. minus two. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, right. So we are going to do our favourites um, in three, two, one order. So yeah. what is your n- number... I, well, I tell you what. I think you should start this one off because my 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 choices are so controversial. It's going to be yeah, oof yeah, yeah. controversy on the VRPC, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, my first choice is Malcolm Young, uh, born uh, 
ACDC. Yeah, ACDC. Yep. Co-founder of ACDC with his brother Angus Young. Um, Luigi. Glaswegians, yeah. Mm. Now, ACDC are such a unique band. They are just one of the most overwhelming bands of the kind of rock and metal genre that everybody speaks about Angus, but actually it's Malcolm who is the driving force, the secret weapon behind the ACDC sound. What he does is absolutely integral and is almost it it is pure rhythm guitar. Yeah, I mean, like the thing about like Malcolm Young is like he would play um, a, quite a clean sound actually. Yeah. Um, over overdriven. Overdriven. Over yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, over yeah. Clean. And he kind of like just he was almost like a bass player actually. He would play the the the, like, the typical uh, ACDC riff, which is a lot of space. Yes. You know, like dang, 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 dang. Whatever it is, a lot of empty space, but he would play it so tight and the Phil Rudd. Yeah. Yeah. What of. Yes. Yeah. And then, yeah, Angus, that gave him the platform to like. So it's a solid yeah. foundation, but it continues the drive of the song yeah. through the solos and it creates the interest and the excitement yeah. of, of the song. And it's pure rhythm guitar. Yeah. And what he does between. Like um, cutting chords, um, and letting chords ring. Yeah, yeah. And the timing of what he does yeah. is absolutely integral. And actually, if if you just take a bit, of t- like I was listening to the Back in Black album on the way over, which is immense, <sighs> super. What an album! Yeah. And I've not listened to it for a number of years, actually. And my favorite. The the mix of, of that album is actually particularly good. And if you just take a bit of time and hone in what Malcolm Young does. It's very clever yeah. a lot of the time. It, it, it doesn't sound overly complex because actually, technically, is it complex? It's kind of not the point. No. What it does is it creates the drive. It creates yeah. that platform for the song to build on. Yeah. It creates the kind of... It's everything about the timing of it. You yeah. know, the timing of the chord... Yeah chops the timing of how long the chords ring for yeah. that um it never slows the song down in any way yeah. it, but what it does is sometimes builds the song up and creates a bigger sound yeah. but when it needs to it drives the song yeah, along yeah. you know yeah no i just think well you know like for any of these things you've got to have great songs and like back in black when i think about it back in black and probably Maybe the first Van Halen album. They were the, the album, um, Jimmy Hen- that, our experience with Jimi Hendrix and mm-hmm. Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, they were the four albums that kind of just got me into music. And yeah. Back in Black was the first, like, hard rock. Yeah. You know, and it was like, I would play, I, I remember walking around with my Walkman and I just listened to the album. It was so cool. Like, yeah. Hell's Bells coming uh, in. Just back the first back. song, yeah. Hell's yeah. Bells. Oh my goodness. And ACDC, right? I defy you to listen to ACDC and sit still. You after ten seconds, you will be at least tapping your. Well, see, I could not sit still listening to the album tonight. My I thesis, could not sit this still. This is my my thesis on. This is kind of strong. 
my thesis on this on ACDC is basically it's like um, kind of like a contemporary folk music for uh, like God, it would be controversial, but for kind of like Northern European people, basically, when you put it on, you cannot help but move, like you say, it's basically like a jig or like kind of folk music. Just unreal. You know, like, like when, when, when here in Scotland, if you go to Cayley, basically you, you can't stop moving. And no. if you were in like Harlem, New York, if you put on like Run DMC, you're going to like start yeah. popping and it's, clicking. It's, yeah, you know? it's just, it's an un unbelievable effect. I think the, the, the people who ACDC have influenced, you know, it's massive, yeah. absolutely massive. But, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen an ACDC cover band, but I remember going with you, and it must this must be like 2015 or something, went to a small bar in Edinburgh, and I just couldn't believe how like everybody, and particularly at that time Bonds, in Edinburgh, balls. was that what it was? Jesus Christ, like, you know, it was full of like Spanish and Italian people, and they were like, ah, oh, they just, just It's just, that sound is so, it's almost, I actually picked up ACDC quite early on in my, in your musical journey kind of thing and it was from a it was the ACDC Live the, the abbreviated CD yeah, yeah. in the library and I tried a few things I was in the grunge and things at the time mm. but um, ACDC just that live sound was just essential yeah, yeah. it's just like it, it's almost like like you say on your DNA or something it's yeah. just an unreal sound and the people who they've like Dave Mustaine has been quoted as saying Malcolm Young is the greatest rhythm guitarist in the world. Yeah. And Scott Ian from Anthrax. Yeah. yeah. Kind of oh, same. yeah, yeah. You know, he's a massive yeah, AC yeah. He's got an A C D C tattoo, you know, yeah, yeah. massive, massive A C D C fan. So yeah, my number three, Malcolm Young. Absolutely essential guitarist for anybody into rock, metal. Yeah. Fine choice, Charlie. So I don't know, should we well, I'm gonna I'm yeah. I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. I couldn't quite think of how I was going to do this. And I thought, yep, I, I just thought that Sharpie was just saying, I can't believe you've made this choice. I thought I'm going to go with a guy called Peter Vickers, who is the, the, the guitarist from um, Soilwork. But I think I'm going to change my mind. And I am going to pick... Well, it was either between Jimi Hendrix or John Petrucci. Now, both of those guitarists are known for being like super, well, John Petrucci, known for being super technical with Dream Theater. But I'm actually going to pick last minute substitute. I'm going to go with Jimi Hendrix. Now, I think everybody in the room here is like, Cowie, what are you doing? Jimi Hendrix is a solo guitarist. And Jimi Hendrix is a solo guitarist. However, Jimi Hendrix is a guitarist who played what I would call lead rhythm. Now, this is a kind of different way of approaching things. So, um, as we were talked at the top of the show, there's a difference between like riff rhythm and strumming rhythm. Jimi Hendrix kind of sits between those two in the sense that Jimi Hendrix played rhythm as lead and Jimi Hendrix would play a chord progression but would play it with like um, like kind of lead um, embellishments with hammer-ons with with slides with kind of like kind of how like a lot of bluesy players would like like chug on a bam and, and and just 
embellish a very simple riff, but with Jimi Hendrix, the way he played rhythm, most exemplified by something like Little Wing, he really made a simple chord progression into uh, an elegant kind of riff, and he mm. never played the thing the same way twice. Uh, and the only other guitarist I can think of who's come kind of close to that is Prince, actually. Mm. But with Jimi Hendrix, I think his his rhythm playing is kind of key to um, like the Jimi Hendrix sound. If you think about a song like Voodoo Child, right? Basically, the whole song is just like chugging on E. You're low. Do, 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 yeah. Do, 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 yeah. Now, you, everybody knows the, the the intro riff to that. But basically, the song is. Basically, he creates his own foundation for him to solo on, doesn't he? Yes. So the way I see like Jimi Hendrix as a kind of like what I've just described in inverted commas as kind of a lead rhythm guitarist is that he takes the kind of classic like uh, blues band style mm. of like vamping on a, a riff or a chord with lots of like lead fills which are often kind of in um uh, yeah it's more fills than yeah outright soloing a lot of the time is that you do get outright solos but yes i know what you mean it's it's, it's little trills and yeah. fills and on top of that driving riff isn't yeah. it i think what the thing what you call it is like call and response like you know the the, the singer i.e jimmy would would say something you know my baby she left me and then the guitar would come but the way he played particularly with um different um inversions of mm. course so like if, you, if if you know like a stand like a guitar like you know your c chord your e chord yeah your g chord like the open chords when you play your bar chords uh, of those same things he would play a slightly different arrangement of the same notes and use hammer-ons to get things the van halen he kind of picked up on that um in a slightly different way but this is why i was kind of think like the way jimmy Hendrix played rhythm kind of really i think inspired a lot of guitarists yeah. um now uh, in contemporary music i'm not sure that uh, that that um influence is kind of wrong through no i think if you look at kurt kamet and things like that that kurt kamet wrote a lot of um metallica riffs yeah. he wrote enter sandman for example mm. and he's massively influenced by, yeah. by Jimi hendrix yeah so obviously metallica this the, the their kind of style is of rhythm is is sort of chugging just like uh, what you'd say eight notes like mm. one and two and three and four and excuse me but um with Jimi hendrix like i think little wing is probably the best example but there's many little wing is my favorite Jimi hendrix song yeah it's a beautiful little song with incredible guitar work yeah and it's sublime that song i love it there's another song which the title has just gone right on my head but the riff goes <laughs> you're never going to pick that up but no, um i don't want to I, I i'm looking at my fingers sort of playing that on a kind of imaginary fretboard mm. um yeah just if, if you know guitar you'll know like your kind of like triad chords which um you know van halen and like a crazy train by um 
They're kind of like major and major chords in the triad format, which is basically like a piano player plays a C chord, you know, it's like that. In a guitar, you've got the ability to play it over a wider range of things. So anyway, yeah, I just think Jimi Hendrix, I'm taking up too much airtime here. Jimi Hendrix. No. Yeah. It's cool. No, I think there's... Sharpie, should we crack open a beer here? Yes. Beers? Which one are we going to go for? And then we're going to have to rattle through the rest of it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go on to, you know, an extended episode. Oh, my God. This white one has intrigued me. The Golden Drach. So I think that would translate as Golden Dragon, I think. Well, it's in for a penny, in for a pound at this point of the night, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah, so while you're pouring that, I'm going to go into my number two. And... It is a Mr. Izzy Stradlin. Jeffrey Dean Isbell, born 8th of April 1962, co-founder and rhythm guitarist of Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Now, Izzy Stradlin is an unsung hero in a lot of ways. If you're into Guns N' Roses, you know about Izzy Stradlin. He co-wrote most of Guns N' Roses' big hits. Yeah, he's the bedrock of the band. Bedrock of the band, yeah. absolutely. He was the guy who created the swaggering edge to Guns N' Roses. So he co-wrote Sweet Child of Mine, co-wrote Paradise City. Out to Get Me was his riff. Did he write Night Train? Uh, don't think. Uh, I, th- I think he co. Well, he's got so many co-writing credits, and if you go, if you look through the Usual Illusion one and two albums, every time I go on a train, I always sing that song. Oh, he he is a massive co-writing credit. He he established himself very early, uh, not just as a rhythm guitarist for Guns N' Roses, but as a songwriter as yeah. well. Um. So. Bad Obsession, Um, You Could Be Mine, big hit. Massive hit. Massive hit, Don't Cry, all major writing credits. But as a guitarist, not just as a songwriter, um, I find him, he is that bluesy hard edge to Guns N' Roses that really sucked me in. So to reveal a bit of self like to you that like I dabbled in guitar a bit and I was always driven by rhythm guitar. The rhythm guitarist and what they did and how they interact with the band was always a fascination to me, particularly the, my number one choice. But you know, guys like Izzy Stradlin, how they built the song, their their foundations of the song. So sometimes he could be very bluesy, sometimes he could be almost punky without to get me. Um, he created this swagger, the yeah. edge to Guns N' Roses. And if you, like Slash's solo stuff, a lot of it's great. You know, he's a talented man, yeah. but it doesn't have that. It's lacking something. It's just, there's a depth, yeah. there's a certain something that's missing to Slash's stuff and it's that foundation of Izzy Stradlin as a rhythm guitarist. 
Yeah. When you were talking there, I the, the thing that came to mind is that uh, maybe it's slightly topical, but I think Izzy Stradlin is like the uh, is Johnny Depp's influence in his kind of like look. Ah, yes. You so know, you're talking velvet like, jackets. Um, and even the way Johnny Depp plays in um, scar yeah. like flowing scarves, very cool individual. He like un unstated cool. Yeah. You know. Um, what was the deal with with Izzy Stradlin? Because he was like kicked out of Guns N' Roses. No, he left. Or he so left, and then Gilby Clark came in. Yeah, Gil- Gilby Clark's a great rhythm yeah. guitarist, and actually, uh, I wish Guns N' Roses did more with Gilby Clark. Gilby Clark's a fantastic guitarist, but Izzy Stradlin just had that. Je ne sais quoi. Yes. You know, he just he played oversized, hollow bodied Gibsons, you know, with the um F shaped holes yeah. and all that, you know. Uh, beautiful guitars, yeah. really stunningly beautiful guitars, which had this different sound that like overdriven sound, yeah. you know, not that um you, you know the distorted sound. Distorted yeah. sound, you know. And that was everything with Guns N' Roses. Yeah. That that was that that just well, is he is Stradlin? I think well, to, to my impression, was the uh, wait a minute, I get this right. The the Ronnie Watts of the like he was kind of the Ronnie Watts of Guns well, N' Roses. he was he was he was the Keith Richards. Keith Richards, sorry, yeah. to the Ronnie Wood. Sorry, absolutely, yeah. it's exactly that dynamic. Yeah. Absolutely that dynamic. Yeah. Where. Like Keith's like slinking about the stage with yeah. Micawber, you know, like pulling the shapes, you know, as he's he like slashes running around with his Les Paul on his knee, kind of ripping out the solos, and as he's just like just laying down these yeah. fucking great blues-driven riffs, you know, and just like Izzy Stradlin is a fantastic rhythm guitarist, and um. His solo stuff, like he, he you know, is is, um, is he struggling his Juju Hounds, you know, I went through all of these guys, um, his solo material as well, uh, as they as they got released, and Izzy's um solo stuff, is not too bad either. Like you know, he's a talented, talented guy, but um, yeah, I think something it would come alive in the live. Absolutely come alive, you know, and uh, I mean, yeah. I mean the songs that he's attributed to, you'd be st- absolutely staggered by. You know yeah. all of Guns N' Roses' big big hits. You know, mm-hmm. and he's the, uh, in many ways the unsung heroes of the well, at one point the biggest band on earth. Yeah. So yeah. is he struggling? My number two. I think he had a Great touch of the. I wouldn't. Uh, he had a touch of the Jimi Hendrix thing I was talking about in the sense that, like a lot of um a lot of Guns N' Roses, uh, rhythms are. And riffs are kind of vamps. A vamp is a sense like it's a simple chord structure. Yeah. But you just add in the little like hammer-ons and pinched harmonics or whatever. But then listen to Bad Obsession. It's um, it's like heavy. It's like metal blues. Yeah. You know that. There's not nothing that sounds like Bad Obsession. You know, and the rhythm to Bad Obsession is world class you've got you know slash on the the, the really unique sounding Travis Bean aluminium neck slide guitar but Izzy Stradlin laying down a heavy blues drive yeah. you know just yeah. oh, unreal um, and 
there's there's also interesting things like fourteen years. He he kind of co-wrote or mainly wrote fourteen years of the Usual Illusion albums, um, Blacks or Rose, but I thought it was a kind of love song about a jilted kind of lover yeah. but it was apparently about the relationship between him and Axel Rose um, <laughs> they'd been known each other for 14 years and by that point we're beginning to hate the sight of each other which I listened to yesterday and that put a completely new spin on some of the, the lyrics and I thought that was just like brilliant you know because there's a definite rock and roll fuck you to Izzy yeah. Stradlin and uh, that doesn't exist a lot of the time he's a, yeah. he's got a swagger and just yeah what an influence what a great well know. here's a scary thought we've known each other longer than 14 years it's been 14 years of madness it's been 14 years of pain <laughs> your singing is like your jokes Aye. let's not let's not terrible in every way shape yeah. and form so my number two again i've gone slightly in the controversial side in that I've come for uh, Devin Townsend, and it's not an obvious choice for a rhythm guitarist. Mm. But there's two things that kind of made me think about that. Um, he's he's, I mean, he's a genius, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's a genius. I must admit, my first thought was that he would be in my solo list, but I kind of had to go with my kind of childhood heroes for that, so I had to sort of Ooh. shift him. So Devin Townsend. Why did I go for him? Well, two reasons, actually. Um, one is, um, when I think of Devin Townsend, I tend to think of Devin Townsend and the solo, um, his solo bands, Devin Townsend Project, Devin Townsend Band. But that means I forget about Strapping Young Lad. And when you play... <gasps> of course. Devin, when you play some of those riffs, they are so heavy, so fast, so just like metal that you're just like jesus Christ. i've never experienced anything like strapping young lad yeah never and there's a second reason is actually the way this is, and this is probably slightly more to his solo stuff the way he plays um the rhythm which is sort of chuggy is it's actually the way he picks the, the notes he actually instead of like picking the notes like perpendicular to the string he turns his um pick at like 45 degrees so you get like wow. instead of like a cut you get like a cunk yeah like a <laughs> and if you hear that in a lot of like the his early solo stuff it's like <laughs> and it gives a really kind of like a, a scratchy cut sound on on a lot of his riffs but when you think about like strapping and lad i mean i uh the first time i had Stra strapping and lad uh the, the, oh god the name of the album's just going right in my head it's the album with the the red album with this sort of feather on it it's yeah. just strapping the lad. Is it right here? Self-titled, yeah. Like some of the songs in that are unreal. I was yeah. like, Jesus Christ, what is this? And the first uh, strapping of yeah. um, All Hill and You Flash and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus yeah. like I just thought, holy moly! Like this is like because one of the things I was thinking about, like, would I go with something like James Hetfield? And I thought, well, Sharpie will probably go something in that direction. Am I that transparent? Uh, maybe. Oh, I maybe. <laughs> and then I thought, well, what about Slayer? Now, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, I like some Slayer albums, but I'm not like massively into Slayer. Mm. But when I'm, but you cannot deny that they are brilliant rhythm players, both yes. of them. And then when I thought about J uh, Devin Townsend, I was like, Jesus Christ, they are like, he's actually doing like Slayer on speed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
but mixed in with kind of like super heaviness. I've seen heavy bands in my time, but strapping young lad take heavy to different stratospheres yeah. completely. And it's all to do with that rhythm sound. Just yeah. that, like, my eyeballs yeah. were rattling in my skull with the heaviness of it. Now, obviously, the, the people who know Strapping Young Lad, Devin Townsend is the is the lead guitarist in the band. And there's another rhythm guitarist, and there's a bass player, of course. But So, I know I'm splitting hairs here, but, like, he's the guy who wrote the tunes. He well, the he's the, wrote the brainchild of yeah. that entity, isn't exactly. he? And so, I just think... Um, He's a driving force that created the what how heavy that yeah. band is and the rhythmical elements of that yeah. band. Put it this way, like basically between I, I first got introduced to Devin Townsend. You'll if you want to listen to our episode on uh, the Devin Townsend project and the album Addicted, it's on our podcast. Let's just go back a few months. But you know, I was first introduced to him through Steve Vai, mm. and then I really got into him. Um, Devin Townsend in sort of 2003 when he came up with the um, God, I'm so bad with these names um, he came up with two albums at the same time one was the Devin Townsend well but his discography is so complex yeah. anyway that yeah. it's, it's very difficult keeping tabs of what he releases and when basically, I mean, he's a nightmare yeah, basically in 2003 he released two albums prolific. at the same time one was the Devin Townsend band and it had uh, Deadhead which is his famous like um, sort of prog song and that he also released Strapping Young Lad, and they were like two, like completely different things. Oh, unreal! Yeah, just completely different. I mean, it's staggering. Yeah, yeah. this guy's scope of musicianship, but yeah. guitar-driven musicianship. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just think that, like, also the the fact that he plays like this open tuning, he plays these kind of, you know, these riffs that are like they, they sound new to me, and I think it's because of the open tuning. He just has, uh, just it just sounds like put it this way, it's like when you put your fingers on a guitar you kind of like you your hands naturally go to like pentatonic riffs but like because of his tuning or something like the open c tuning like it kind of is like slightly like the next where your fingers would naturally go takes you to a note that you wouldn't naturally land on because of the tuning if that makes sense yes you know so you get these kind of like new sonic venues and of course the fact that he's able to like do the production and stuff like that, he makes these massive sort of Def Leppard sounding albums. That's dense I... sounding up, like yeah. particularly strapping young lad. They're very dense, aren't yeah. they? They're like, I mean, God, like City, like light bench around that. It's so heavy, you know. I mean, it's... <laughs> yes, that's the album I was thinking about. City is so Jesus Christ heavy, like it is unbelievable. <laughs> strapping young lad, oh my God, yeah. And I think the, uh, it was actually the um, song Alien, which came out about 2004 or five. That was when I kind of realised, holy shit, these guys are fucking heavy. Because mm. it came out like... Yeah. And, but yeah, like, um, if you check out any of the um, Trapping Young Lad albums... Uh, but his today, riffs, yeah, I mean, his riffs are, are the foundation to all of... Strapping Young Lad, yes, but also his, his more kind of esoteric stuff as well. There's always a yeah. riff driving, yeah. even his most kind of ambient yeah. stuff as well. Totally, There's, totally. You know, f- yeah. kind of floating through that, that stuff, you know? And on top of that, he is, like, he is 
basically my favourite soloist. He's a, of, he's a, he's a genius. Yeah. He's an he, he's a Canadian. Yeah. And he's a genius. Don't hold that against him. Don't. No, well, I yeah. don't. You know. But anyway, he likes listen, bacon and if, if, <laughs> if if you want to check out his um, ultra heavy um, rhythm playing, then I suggest you check check out the Strapping Young Lad SYL album yeah. and the songs Relentless and Force Fed. And once, <laughs> once your face has been fooled off the tarmac, <laughs> yeah, you'll realise what I'm talking about. What of his other material would you recommend? Well, oh God, Sharpie. It's, it's vast, it's, isn't it's it? I, I know, I, I, I'm kind of like, how long is yeah. a piece of string sort of thing. Empath, I would definitely, I, I would recommend Empath. I think it's a, Beautiful album. I think it's such an interesting album. You know? Yeah, I think um, well, the album that kind of really got me into him was um, the Devon Townsend Band, mm. which uh, I'm just looking here. Not that one. <laughs> Not Transcendence. Oh God. See, I mean, it's just because he's so prolific. I mean, is. He was releasing almost multiple albums at, at the same time at one I mean, point. Probably he's almost so pro, pro um, um, productive to his almost like detriment almost. Yes, you know? because you can't quite nail him down. I mean yeah. that last that album Empath. I mean I enjoyed it so much. I mean it was just such an uplifting, um, unique listening experience not just as a just it's just a brilliant album i just love it so much yeah i would, I would probably go accelerated evolution that would oh, be yes. the album that um yeah yeah that is a good album actually yeah. sharpie uh i need to pee i'm gonna have to go to the toilet i'm oh, sorry you're gonna have to do a monologue here a monologue yeah. this i can do this you can do because so. Well, before we start, I think we should have to um, appreciate this bell. Yeah, this bell. This is this quite strong for you. This is quite dark for oh, you. Yeah. Well, you know, knock me over with a feather, as Devin Townsend might say. So I know you you tend to keep to your laggery kind I'm of. I'm a beers. laggery pilsner type guy, and this stuff is going to knock a hole through my skull. Yeah, yeah. So, right. So talk to me. My number one choice is, of course, um, the captain alluded to it. Uh, a bit earlier on, and it's James Hetfield of Metallica, born on August 1963, co-founder and main songwriter for Metallica. Um, since Metallica have been on the scene, he has been ranked number eight on the 100 Greatest Metal Guitarists of All Time. Guitar World have rated him the 19th Greatest Guitarist of All Time. Um, and my fascination with him started pretty early on as a music fan. The crunch of this man's guitar has been prevalent with me through pretty much all of my uh, journey as a as a music fan. Um, of course, it started with the Black Album. The Black Album was inescapable, but um, I think his some of his greatest work has come from particularly Master of Puppets and, and Justice for All. Um, if you like rhythm guitar and Justice for All, 
is probably the lesson that you need Massive Puppets as an album of dynamics is probably the next thing you need to learn. Now, the unique thing about James Hetfield is his picking style, particularly. The right hand. The right hand. The one with the tattoo of Riff oh, really? on his knuckles. Now, James Hetfield down picks. And he down picks because it sounds more aggressive and he's adapted and developed his style. So when you listen to Master of Puppets at 180 beats a minute, that is all down-picked. I have seen Rob Flynn of Machine Head, who is a nifty guitarist, he cannot he alternate picks the yeah. main riff. James Hetfield down-picks that. Yeah. It's all about like the riff structures are one thing, but it's all about that down picking right hand. Yeah. Now, James Hetfield, like, as we've said in previous episodes, Metallica could be just pigeonholed as a thrash band, but they're kind of way beyond that now, particularly in their mid 90s. Well, I think we've said that they're described as a thrash band, but yeah. they're much, much more. They're than not. That. Yeah. I mean, some of James Hetfield's best. Musical moments are actually in load. Mm. Um, the Outlaw Torn, yeah, for example, yeah. Um, real bluesy, rhythmical sense, just great musicianship. Learns to, um, to 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 play with the song yeah. that he's wanting to create, um. James Hetfield can be tight and technical yeah. and hard, fast when he wants to be, but he can also be have lots of feeling. Well, the kind of arc of like the Metallica sound obviously is intrinsic to like his kind of like like playing style because like, yeah. like the first album Kill 'Em All is is trashy and yeah, picking muted. Then you get into then you get into the sort of like ride the lightning, which is the start of like the like the start of the like super accurate, super heavy, super down like chuggy like riffs. Yeah, like fast. And then you've got Master Pop, which was getting like more technical. It's like kind of that sweet point between like the fast heavy and the fast technical. No, so which this thing about Metallica being the thrash band is an interesting discussion because. You have Call of Cthulhu yeah. at the end. Yeah. That's an orchestrated, yeah, yeah. um, what do you call it, um, a musical piece. Yeah. You know, opus. Yeah, it's a, it's an opus. It, it's a it's a. That is a classical piece of music. Mm. You know, but that's on their second album. Yeah. You've also that's got true, yeah. Fade to Black, yeah. which is a ballad. Yeah. They start the album with Fight Fire with Fire, which is a thrash song, yeah, right? But from that point, they begin to leave yeah. thrash behind. Yeah. They kind of come back to it a little bit on, on Injustice for All, yeah. but that's more they go through a technical thing. Yeah, I mean, like that album is, the songs are all 
near sort of seven, eight, nine minutes. Yes. And yes. There's not one under under six minutes on yeah, that. Yeah, they're, they're quite technical. It's uh, some it's weird time signatures as well. A lot of weird time. Yeah. It's a great album. It's it's. I love Injustice it, for All. It's not one that you probably listen to a lot, but once you get into it, you listen to it quite a lot. And then, yeah. Then you sort of leave it for a yeah. few. Yeah. I listened to. Yeah. There was a spell where I listened to Injustice for All a lot, oh, yeah. like a lot, a lot, a lot, but. Master of Puppets. Yeah, that's the high point. The song. Yeah. The album, as a whole, is one thing. Yeah. And James Hetfield's is is, is outstanding on, on... But particularly Master of Puppets. I, I'm Master say... of Puppets is the perfect... Apart from maybe Hallowed Be Thy Name from Iron Maiden, Master of Puppets is... Possibly the greatest metal song ever written. That riff yeah. is unbelievable. For me, for me, my favorite like rhythm uh, of uh, rhythm guitar playing on that album is actually it's either Disposable Heroes or Labor Messiah. Now, let's speak about Disposable Heroes. Yeah. Disposable Heroes is a simple riff, and this, in essence, shows how good a guitarist James Hetfield is. It is played on three notes, four notes. Four notes. But the rhythmical technicality and the down-picking precision of that song is... Masterful. Masterful. And the same with Creeping Death. Creeping Death is not an overly complex riff to break it down, but that speed Speed, is mental. Absolutely mental. Um, And almost the high point of James Hetfield's musicianship was watching him play with the San Francisco Orchestra oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in SNM. Yeah, yeah. Because he writes a lot of these songs. These are his babies, right? And it's almost at that point that they are fully realised. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of these songs were written with Cliff Burton, who was classically trained, who had this orchestrated sound in his head. So it's particularly Call of Cthulhu. They opened with Call of Cthulhu on, on that, that gig. And to hear the entire orchestra fill that song with all of those elements. James Hetfield starts a song sitting on a bar stool, you know, and to see him grow to play and command the orchestra with Michael Kamen. Yeah. Like he's the second conductor of that orchestra with his rhythm playing. That's how big James Hetfield is. He becomes the conductor of of this massive orchestra with his rhythm playing. James Hetfield's a genius, an absolute genius. He's a master of the the rhythm guitar, of both technicality, of feeling and of soul. He now plays that bridge section, that solo bridge section of Master Puppets and the he injects just a slight bluesy kind of soulful feeling yeah. into it that kind of Kirk Hammett can't. Yeah. And it adds everything to that song. Absolutely everything to that song. Because it's a guy screaming out for help. 
it's addiction. The you thing know. Metallica is like that. That is basically the soundtrack to art adolescence. Oh, you know that man's guitar is a sound to my yeah. adolescence. You know that that beating up. The first time Gibson I, Explorer. The first time Black I drank a beer, I'm pretty sure I was listening to Metallica. Just you know, uh, first time I had a sleepover, like a kind of party sleepover, we're listening to the Black Album or, or Master of Puppets. You know? Yeah. And then you know when we got a little bit older with the uh, load, um, still like you know like wasting my hate. I love that song. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great riff, and it's 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 a deep cut. Yeah. But it's a great riff. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, but basically, yeah. So basically, from like nineteen ninety one to two thousand, you know, Metallica was the soundtrack. But then, even if you go into um, their latest album. No, Hardwired yeah. Hard yeah. Atlas Rise. Yeah. That's a belter of a riff. Absolute yeah. worldy of a riff. I think Death Magnetic is a really good album, but the, the, this is it has the same issue that Justice for All has in the sense that the the sound is abrasive. In Justice for All, like, there's no bass. And in Death Magnetic, actually the sonics are too much that yes. it tends to distorted. And it's not comfortable to listen to, right? <laughs> but the songs are really good. Yeah, the songs are great. Yeah, I just, yeah, and I think it's possibly that point of where Metallica need to be told. Yeah, stop. You know, just yeah, you no, know, trim a bit here, three minutes here, four minutes there. You don't need to reprise that riff again. We yeah. get the idea, you know. But at the same time, Atlas Rise, yeah, I could listen to that all day, actually. You know. Yeah. So sharp you were. So, we're talking about our favourite rhythm guitarists. We've had some unusual um, selections. Myself, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. And then we had Sharpie's Izzy... Str uh, sorry, uh, Malcolm Young. Yeah. And then uh, I went for Devin Townsend, another controversial one. No, and no, then, I don't think that's controversial. Yeah. I think that's... Well, super superficially controversial. Well... Yeah. I think once you add the Strapping unusual? Young... Unusual? Once you add the Strapping Young Lad aspect in it, it makes it sense. It makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Sharpie went with Guns N' Roses' uh, Izzy Stradlin. Oh, what a guy. And, um, yeah, um, his number one choice, of course, was James Hetfield, Metallica. And, because I am that transparent. <laughs> well, and like we were saying, is that, that, He that, sings and plays all, that, all those riffs. Well, the, 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 can I point that the, out? <laughs> the whole point of Metallica is it's the sound of our adolescence. Metallica is the sound of metal. Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, the name basically says everything. You know, everything that um, is heavy kind of basically. Uh, everything... I wanted to be James Hetfield for so long. I I was obsessed with that man. I was obsessed with his technique, his sound. Yeah. I was obsessed with. Getting as fast down picking master puppets as he was, and to my credit, I was a ball here away from it. Yeah, I would practice the live versions. I must admit, um, like for me, as a like when I was a teenager in my and into my sort of mid to late 20s, I was playing guitar like ridiculous amounts of hours per day, you know, probably suffered for the rest of my life, you know, <laughs> for, for doing that, but I. Like I, I had it down. I was like chugging away. How good does it feel? But do, 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 but now do, 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 I cannot do, do, do. get. It's like you know, like Martin McFly from Back to the Future, where he goes into the when yeah. he sees when he sees himself in the future and he can't play the guitar anymore. 
that's kind of like how I feel because I cannot do the the down picking. Like there was that. an interesting um, clip of uh, Metallica um, building up for. I think I think it was the making of Hardware Self Destruct and maybe going on tour or something, and. Um, Lars Ulrich suggests playing Massive Puppets and Hetfield's like he's sitting uh, warming up and um, Lars just shouts over oh, do you want to play Master? And he's like oh, I don't think I'm ready like what do you mean? It's like oh it's just Dugga Dugga it's like well I don't know if I'm Dugga Dugga ready <laughs> you know and, and, but, so that that te- tells you how on it when you hear Master of Puppets live, how on it James well, I mean, like, has yeah, to be. Like when we were kids, like you know, you'd watch like Metallica, like Binge and Purge and stuff, and you see them like like backstage or what was it, a year and a half, a year and a yeah. half. Um, you'd see Metallica backstage, you know, like in kind of like a sports stadium, you know, and like they're like they basically were like athletes, you know, they yeah. were getting like like jacked up and heavily drinking athletes. Well, heavily drinking, but you know they were getting themselves like in into into gear like. For, yeah. No, but yes, there's a certain stamina out shooting yeah. like that. Absolutely, yeah. yes. You know, I know what you're saying. And like, you know, I was talking about like John Petrucci earlier. Like, you know, he used to like, you know, like do his kind of like exercises before gigs and stuff like that. But you know, Hetfield and you know Jason Newstead and whatever, they're like getting ready to play these like pounding things. So if you have Spotify, folks, you can get hold of the recently released um, extended deluxe edition box sets of the past albums. And I went down the rabbit hole of the Massive Puppets deluxe edition box set and it's like 13 hours of music, but there's one version live of Massive Puppets and it's very early. And it shows you how it's raw. It's a, it's a very, very raw live. It's like, what, 86 maybe? One of the, probably the first tours of playing that song live. And the, the rhythm guitar is just so in your face. And James Hetfield, it's, it, it's so fast. Yeah. It's so fast this version, and it's it's there's a angry punk edge to this this version of it, and it's just like it brings this whole song to another new level. It's just like I listened to it last night, and I went, "Holy shit!" You know, because it's just like James Hetfield on you. Yeah. You know, it's just I mean the band is there, but it's all about James Hetfield being. Mm on you because it's he's having to be on it so much for this you know when you were talking about um uh that lot that anecdote of uh, uh lars ulrich saying to uh james Hetfield, are you ready to play uh Master yeah. Puppets? the first thing actually it reminded me of you seen the movie uh, lemmy Yes. Documentary. <laughs> and that bit where like uh, Metallica are kind of like in a dressing room and uh, 
uh, at their, one of their concerts, but Lemmy's going to come in and play with him. Oh, it's an Lemmy, amazing bit of footage. Yeah, I, amazing. I, I, bit I love the bit because I think I, Lars Ulrich is a, a hilarious guy. Like, like, um, but he's Lemmy, a fanboy. Yeah. he's a complete fanboy yeah, as well. Le, Lemmy, Lemmy comes into the room and like everyone's like, yeah, and then like you know Rob Trujillo is like blah blah. <laughs> yeah. But then um, like um, no, um, um, what's his name? Lemmy says to uh, uh, Lemmy says to Metallica, so what we're playing? He says, oh, we're going to play Damage Case. And then says, so let me say something like, so how do you want to come in? And Lars Ulrich says something to the effect of like, don't be under any like uh, disambiguation that we know what we're doing. We're just going <laughs> to, you know, this is going to hit one, two, three, four. And we're <laughs> just go. Yeah. You know, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah, uh, James Hetfield, I mean. But bear in mind, Metallica played in the Whiskey A Go Go for Lemmy's. 50th birthday well, that's as, on, as the Lemmys. Yeah, that, that, that's on, um, uh, what was it, um, the uh, Garage Days too, isn't it? There, there's, well, they released those songs as a series of B-sides, Damage Case and things like because that, I, Overkill. Yeah, because that was the first time I heard like um, the Garage, because the, the Garage Days EP1 came out like in the, like when uh, Jason Newsted joined. Yes. Yeah. And I really... You know, this was kind of slightly before my time with Metallica, but when the Garage Days Two came out, there was a lot of album, a lot of songs in that. Yeah, so and those B sides came out as on the CD version. Uh, well, as, 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 uh, from the from the singles of the Load and Reload kind of right, era. Okay. Well, no, I'm pretty sure that on the Garage Days Two CD release, at least, yes, it had the Damage Damage Case, case like, and Overkill. Like, and, yeah, wh- whether it was on a second CD or. Um, just an extended one, but um, that was the first yes, time it I was heard. the second CD at the end. Yeah, because I've listened to them so yeah. much. Yeah, uh, well, that was yeah. the first time I heard like yeah. a lot of the Motorhead stuff because, like, basically, you know, Motorhead to me, growing up in the nineties, was like um, Ace of Spades, basically. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, you know, it wasn't until after the fact. But anyway, um, we are going to talk about uh, my final choice uh, for the rhythm guitars. Yeah, probably, I'm intrigued by this. Yeah, probably we should have like ended on on your one, but because I was swithering, which is a Scottish word for saying I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I I I couldn't decide how is, to start. Is that the VRPC motto? Swithering. Yeah. yeah. Or don't know what the fuck we're yeah, doing. Well, both, well, yeah, both. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, but not when it comes to editing. You're very good at that, Charlie. One thing we are good at is, uh, is drinking beer, and this uh, this uh, Belgian beer is certainly going straight to me, that's for sure. <laughs> so, um, I have chosen for my number one rhythm guitarist, Dimebag Darrell. Oh. Now, see, this came into the conversation of yeah. single guitar bands. And are they true rhythm guitarists? But in this case, this case, I think it's undeniable. Sorry, it's it? undeniable. Yeah. Dimebag was all about the riff and the groove. Yeah, absolutely. Everything about that band was about the riff and the groove. Sorry, I've I've invaded your space. No, no, here. no. I've, I I actually can't agree with you more. It's well, great see, choice. Like, it's a for, great for, choice for me. Um, when I uh, I I first got into um, Pantera, uh, probably nine two nine three. So uh, I had been exposed to Metallica and the Metallica 
influenced sound by other artists. Uh, and as I've said previously, and I, probably on our Pantera thing, like most metal in the early 90s had that kind of like chuggy one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight sound. Like, but then you had. And then so many great Dimebag riffs. Dimebag and Pantera came up with these kind of like pentatonic blues riffs, which was something that like Cabos from Hell is the obvious one. And I could relate to that because I was like Guns N' Roses and you know, I mean, inject that into my veins. And then on top of that, they had like syncopated riffs which I've mentioned many times in this podcast uh, in the sense that it was like syncopated associated with reggae it's kind of offbeat which was not something that metal did you know you know yeah so yeah. suddenly we had riffs that were off the beat and the third thing I think that sort of like popped out to me with with, with Dimebag was he had kind of like I'm going to use the word angular riffs in the sense that, like, I think you were trying to mouth the, the riff to mouth, uh, not mouth for a new level. So, like, there were riffs that didn't, like, that didn't have um, the, the, the kind of odd meters in that, in the sense, like, uh, they'd have, like, uh, two, three, five, seven in a regular pattern. So like, and basically that creates tension because you're do, where you're expecting yeah, where you're expecting so where you're expecting the riff to end, it starts before or after, and then it's, the resolution comes a couple of beats later. Is that not feeling? Well, um, it, it is and it isn't, but you know, so he in, like Pantera and Dimebag introduced these sort of sounds to my young ears and I was like holy shit that is cool now I remember playing Pantera to my dad he was like oh my god this is too much for me Stuart no 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 <laughs> no 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 like because I remember like when I was learning to drive like I'd just play Pantera on the car and dad was like oh god and there's a fourth thing actually like Pantera was the first band that I can think of that introduced bending strings on the low E. Sabbath? So the most obvious, well, probably yes, but I hadn't really been exposed to Sabbath at that point. Uh -huh. So, like, the obvious example of that is the riff to walk. <laughs> and um, I was talking to you earlier about um, Jim Carrey. He just did an interview where he was talking about music all the time. And he said the first time he heard walk, it was kind of like... I'm not even paraphrasing, I'm just putting words into my basically said that he shit himself because like the, the riff just kinda hit him so hard. Oh. It makes you want to run through a brick wall. Yeah. I mean Pantera's riffs yeah. and the rhythm element of Pantera is, is everything. everything. Yeah, it's it's absolutely yeah. everything. Yeah. The solos are dynamic and Hendrix like and you know Yeah. I think <laughs> there's a lot of almost like humour. In Dimebag, like he does it for the sake of because he shits can. and giggles. Shits and it, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> the phrase in a Scottish terminology for the shits and the giggles. Yeah. That's exactly right. But the foundations, yeah. the serious side, 
of Pantera yeah. is the riff and the groove. Yeah. That is, and if you listen to, like, Phil Anselmo, like, like, Phil Anselmo has got his demons and he's got his detractors and he's done some kind of awful shit in the, in yeah. the recent past. But when you hear him speaking about his time with Pantera, it's nothing but deference. It's nothing yeah. but awe and respect for the musicians that he played with, and particularly Dimebag Darrell. The awe that yeah. Phil Anselmo has for that man as a musician is everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. Yeah. And so, that man created a new sound. The man created a new sound in in metal and music, you yeah. know? So like we were saying earlier, like the James Hetfield and Metallica kind of being like the soundtrack to our, our adolescence. I would probably, if I was going to be like pedantic, I would say it was the soundtrack to our collective uh, adolescence. So like when we to go for parties or whatever, Metallica would always be in the yes. thing, right? But for me, like me just sidestepping into my lane, you might have been going into like Guns N' Roses or whatever. I was like into Pantera. That was the, like where I really kind of found myself, you know. I listen to Pantera more now than I do Metallica. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like back in the 90s, it would have been for you 100% like Metallica. Oh, for, absolutely. Yeah. Metallica, even even now, like yeah. I hadn't heard, listened to Injustice for All for a while, yeah. but I listened to it the other night and thought, yeah. So for Blackened. me, for me, it Brilliant. was like the, the the four albums like Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar's by far particularly. Yeah. Um, Great Southern Tranquil. Uh, uh, far Beyond Driven and Great Southern Tranquil. Those albums, like like basically from ninety three to ninety nine or two thousand. I liked um, the late the, the last one. Um, uh, Hellbound. Is it Hellbound? Uh, Revolution is my name. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. That, actually, although the dynamics of the band were very stretched, Dimebag's playing on that album is, if you listen to what he's playing, and actually what him and Rex are doing, and of of that band unit, the musical element, actually... That's a fucking great album. Well, I mean, it's a brilliant the, the album. Key, the key, for, for me, uh, there's actually, um, this takes us back to your choice. The, Pantera has a sort of, kind of like, an inverted synergy with ACDC in the sense that you have two brothers and yes. they're locked in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, That's it, yeah. and when yeah. you think about Pantera, you've got Vinny, the drummer, who was one of my favourite drummers on our, uh, oh. our drummer thing. And great you've got guy. Rex. Yeah, great. Uh, Rex Brown on bass, they provide that absolute hard platform. They are yeah. tight, like kind of Led Zeppelin tight. Um, actually, even more than Led Zeppelin tight. They were so like locked. They had in. to be. Yeah. They had to be because yeah. Phil was kind of going crazy on the side of the stage, yeah. like shouting at people, and like Dimebag was kind of ripping the face off of people with solos on the other side. Of the stage, you know, and so the rhythm section had to be. Like, absolutely. And I think I think actually the 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 reason that they um were tight or appeared tight was the fact that they had these syncopated rhythms. Like you know, I've done this million times on this podcast. Like they kind of like, you know, very kind of like uh, uh, juttery 
um, staggered yes. sort of riff. You have to concentrate on what you're doing with that. And if you look at... there, I went through a bit of a rabbit hole with YouTube and looking at kind of early, early-ish Pantera stuff yeah. um, and kind of 2000 cap kind yeah. of gigs. And yeah. yeah, they're absolutely on it with that. You know, yeah. that difficult timekeeping. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I probably should have said this about 15 minutes ago, but like effectively uh, Pantera kind of pioneered something which we now know now called the power groove mm. you know uh, which uh, effectively you know bands like you know faith no more and corn and lip biscuit and everybody else were sort of like would take on to do their yeah. own thing but you know like i say for me i'd never heard this syncopated riff which had power heaviness and like chug but also actually made you want to move yeah. you know in a kind of in a kind of um in a rhythmic sense like you know because most like heavy metal you know if you think of like metal most metallica and like megadeth or whatever anthrax maybe not anthrax but you know like it's kind of like very kind of like chug 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 yeah it is like, it is then solo section yeah. and back to the riff yeah solo section yeah. back to the riff and you know and variations of that theme yeah. but i think that's the interesting thing about having a one guitarist band is yeah. that you have to be a little bit more imaginative with that yeah, you know yeah. that you have to create the riff you have to drive the riff you have to create the song around the riff and hammer it home yeah but then you know the technical abilities of that guitarist yeah. lift and elevate the song and that's what Dimebag did yeah you know his dynamics his yeah whammy bad abuse you yeah. know and his harmonics and all that you know and, and, and yeah, exactly. Sorry, just interject, interject there, but like, you know, on top of like his super tight rhythm playing and super inventive riffs, he was a guitarist that kind of amalgamated like Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes and touched like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. You know, and probably somebody like uh, Billy Gibbons from like oh, Steve. Absolutely. Like, top, you yeah, know, yeah. like that kind of like blues rock thing. And just like, you know, if you haven't listened to Vulgar Display of Power, then... Um, I'm gonna come and get you and like. Punch <laughs> I, head, you know? I mean, I got into Pantera through Far Beyond Driven. Oh really? Yeah, because yeah. they were promoted, yeah. that, you know, and um, there was a my, vibe my, to that yeah. album, you know, that yeah. I really still I mean, to that... this day. Like, I can listen to that song, that that the album, endlessly. Yeah, uh, I mean, endlessly. Five minutes alone is the classic five track. Yeah, alone. but actually, one of my favorite tracks in that is. Um, Shedding, no, 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 Shedding, no, 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 no. Uh, sorry, Throws of Rejection, which actually is a kind of, it's like the, the penultimate track of the album, but it has like, uh, it's, it starts off with this unbelievable kind of like, yeah, you know, it's kind of, that atypical, yeah, Pantera, yeah, heavy groove yeah. vibe thing, but that's very difficult to quantify, yeah, but it's everything about that band. Yeah. Everything. But the, yeah, I mean, the first four tracks of that album, like uh, Far Beyond Driven, Strength Beyond Strength, oh. Becoming, Five Minutes Alone, Becoming. and I'm Broken, like, they're I'm just like, <laughs> they're just uh, amazing. I mean, stellar, yeah. absolutely yeah. stellar. I mean, that's a, that's a 10 out of 10 yeah. album yeah. right there. Yeah. And then you've got, um, yeah, Pantera are great. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you when yeah. you're number one. And it's difficult with that one guitarist 
the thing of justifying up, you know, is he a lead, is he a rhythm? But no, with Pantera, the groove, the was vibe, and the rhythm, and the riff was, was all yeah. everything about that band. Yeah. Everything you can vaguely remember solos with the dynamics, harmonics, whatever, but. The riffs. I, I remember the solos. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember the solos because I, I learned them kind of like note for note, you know, so that that's kind of how I remember them. But you're right. They're not, um, they're not like Dave Gilmore sort of solos where they're like, oh, you can sort of like sing them note for note or like even like with Kirk Hammett who like, like there was a kind of sort of like vibe about those, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Ben My Daryl had like, he, he was kind of like famous for like using like, fretboard patterns rather than actual scales you know so like you you just like pick a kind of like a weird shape between the fingers <laughs> and you just like go across it and then he would hit those kind of harmonics yeah you know billy gibbs to fill in the gaps yeah and just you know but that's genius yeah but to know that those notes don't necessarily marry up in a purely harmonic sense but to fill those gaps I haven't said that, like, um, when I was watching that Jim Carrey interview I was talking about earlier with the guy, uh, like, you know, it was an interview about Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and the guy, he, who was interviewing him, like, they basically just ended up talking about, like, music, like, Deep Purple, Nirvana, <laughs> Pantera, and he was like, oh, you got to check out the, the, the Floods by Pantera, he yeah. said, oh, yeah, I love Pantera, and you got to check out uh, Lazy by Deep Purple, and this guy who was probably about our age, he was like, oh, I don't know that one, I'll have to check it out, you know, um, but yeah, Floods, like, you know, like, his soul, that's probably, um, Floods and um, This so- Love is probably, his, like, his solo, if I, when we go on to lead guitarists, will Dimebag? No, no, I, 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 I. Because do you know what? Yeah. I think it would be justifiable. I think featuring Dimebag in lead guitars would be absolutely justifiable. Well, I don't know what you selected, but I, I, I have, I, I'm. Well, I've I'm, not thought about it yet. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, well, I have, I have. Well, I, I kind of have. Yeah. I kind of yeah. have. No, but, I am. Um, uh, if if I had gone with um, uh, how how could you say this? If I had gone with my my favorite guitarist, he might have been in there. But yeah. I actually had to go with kind of like the guitarists, the solo guitarists that had the most influence on me. Yes, and, and this is and this is what this is all about. So it's not necessarily the best. Yeah. In ratings, yeah. it's like who influenced you? Who? Who triggers you as a mu- musical you. listener? Yeah. You know, th- who inspires you as, a, as somebody who listens to music? And this is what yeah. going round the houses with these musicians is all about, you know? Tangential question. What was that 80s movie where the kind of montage music was the best? You're the best. Nothing's going to give or give you down. You're the best. Uh. Yeah, I might have to cut that out of this, the episode. Was it not like Rocky or something? Oh, could have been. I don't know. Was the cry kid? I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, no. Um, my uh, my solo picks um, will be two thirds classic and one third um, sort of pseudo contemporary. Yeah. Cryptic. Yeah, yeah cryptic. I, I've not. I mean, obviously, not thought of that far ahead. So yeah, that that'll be interesting after because there's. 
too many. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For we've, we've had a few Belgian beers. We've had a few American screwballs, and they've certainly not me for six. <laughs> Kicked uh, your ass. Yeah, yeah. You, and, uh, as you can tell, my slurred words. Yeah. And these big glasses are not helping us. Should we crack open a final Belgian beer and then we'll say goodbye to our yeah. PC no, well, Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks very much for um, listening to our favorite rhythm guitarists. Um, let us know what you think. You know, are we wrong? Do you agree? Always interested to know what, and what you, actually, you guys that think. That reminds us, we didn't uh, say that at the top of the show. We have a Facebook page which is private, but you can join and we will. We basically let anybody in. Yeah. You know, so we're not just, fussy, really. Yeah. So, um, Sharpie, can you give us the details for that? Yeah. Just check out hashtag VRPC on Facebook and you'll, yeah. you'll get us there. Or just type in um, in your search. Yeah. If you go into vinyl, um, our, the Spotify uh, VRPC page, they're listed out the, the Twitter handle, the Instagram, and the Facebook. Yeah. And of course, you'll find us on um, Apple and what have you not we've not started a youtube page because you know no we, we don't we, have a camera we, <laughs> we've we've not done that so yeah. yeah but yeah thanks very much for joining us with this episode um we're extended going to, episode extended episode yeah. we are going to check out um skunk and Nancy for our next album uh kind of review yeah. episode uh looking forward to that yeah what's the album again uh Paranoid and Sunburnt. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> Looking forward to this. Really? It's a great album. I am too, actually, because I haven't actually listened to that album in, in its entirety. I think you're going to be surprised. If you've not listened it, to it for a while, I think you're going to be surprised. Um, so, yeah, Brit Rock. Uh, going to delve into a bit of Brit Rock for the uninitiated. Um, wasn't quite sure how to... Next we'll be doing Manic Street Preachers. But my, or even Oasis, you never know. Yeah. Um. So Brit Rock was the way I wanted it to go, and that's your introduction to Brit Rock. And we'll we'll go through the the genre kind of in general for maybe future episodes as well. Yeah. But uh, until then, thanks very much for joining us. Um, you can catch us on our hashtags on Facebook and Twitter. Any last words from you, Captain? Just remember, rhythm is a dancer. Rhythm is a dancer. And it's all about the riff. Thanks very much, folks. See you next time.